Welcome to the Becoming Titans podcast. I'm Russ Yeager, founder and CEO of Body Transformation University. I help busy business owners and executives get a beach-ready body without killing themselves in the gym hours every day, giving up the foods they love, or taking away time from their family or business. I believe putting your health first is the most important thing you can do to propel your business and financial success, ignite passion in your relationships, and to live a happier, more fulfilled life. Stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest on one of the fastest growing inspirational podcasts on the planet in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Welcome, Joe Cross. I'm so excited to have you here on Becoming Titans. Can you tell us a little bit, um, the, our listeners, a little bit about you, who you are and what you do? Uh, sure, Rosemary. I'm Joe Cross. I am... Uh, Mostly known for the movies that I have um, I've made over the last sort of 10 years. The uh, most significant film or the most well-known movie is a film called Fat, Sick and Nearly Dead, which uh, actually launched on Netflix in 2011. So we are coming up to the 10-year anniversary really, really soon, and it's been an incredible 10 years. Uh, the movie basically chronicles my, um, my change from being uh, somebody who was 40 years of age and uh, 300 and... 30 pounds, uh, loaded up on medication that I'd been on sort of for eight years beforehand for an autoimmune disease. And basically what I did is I, uh, I got a truck, uh, an SUV, uh, loaded up with a juicer, and um, I drove across uh, the United States for 60 days and drank nothing but uh, fresh fruit and vegetable juice, filmed it. Then I came back to Australia and I ate nothing but fruits, vegetables, nuts, beans, and seeds for another three months. So it was a five-month journey where I was off all medication uh, lost over 100 pounds, and uh, that film then, uh, there's a couple other things that happened into it. I won't ruin the whole film in case people haven't seen it, but uh, a few other things, exciting things happened in that movie as well. But that uh, really launched a, a complete uh, sea change for me from the world of finance and what I was doing previously to the world now of, um, of really media in, in content with respect to uh, changing your life and taking control of your life and also I have some other businesses that are in the uh, in the plant world, in the world of uh, of wellness. So you would say. So I saw your um, documentary um, many many years ago. Changed my life. Uh, challenged my diabetic husband, and uh, he failed miserably, and still is. But I'm. I've lost, um, overall, it's been this long journey of learning my, my body and understanding my health and what causes this and that and the food I eat. And so thank you, sir. You, had, you know you have changed probably millions of lives. Yeah, it's been a very, well, thank you, Rosary, but it's been an incredible uh, journey. And uh, everywhere I go, I still hear stories just like you told me then. And uh, <clears throat> I guess probably every day, maybe three or 4,000 people watch the movie every day still for the first time. Wow. And so they they feel that and get that sort of uh, uh, emotion and inspiration. And there was a lot of magic. I mean, I couldn't recreate that movie ever again. It was just an incredible bunch of things that happened and timing wise, and just everything fell into place. So I just got really lucky. But they, you know, they say Lady Luck follows a person of action. So yes. it was one of those moments in time where uh, everything gelled, and then we were able to give this gift to the world and I was just very fortunate to be um, be a part of it and be the person um, that was able to uh, then take that that calling forward and try and, um, and help as many people, inspire as many people as possible. So I have some questions around how you produce that because you were a businessman before that. You were not a film person or a documentary person, correct? Correct. I, I, I've always been an entrepreneur. Uh, my whole life has always been entrepreneurship. You know, I I left school at 17. I became a, uh, I got a job. First job was when I was 17 and I was a mail clerk and a sort of a delivery boy around town and working on a, on the futures floor. And I slowly built up to be a, a what's called now, everyone knows them as a day trader, someone who trades for their own self. But I was a day trader on the floor when I was 22. And then from 22 to 27, I had this idea of, yes, I was making money trading, but then I thought, you know, I, I need to have a business. So when I was 27, 28, it took me a year to launch it. I, I launched my first um, company. And uh, that was the, I was CEO and founder and I had investors and we became a brokerage firm on the floor of uh, the Australian 
Futures Exchange, Sydney Futures Exchange. That's a bold and, uh, move that, for a young person. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, it was. Um, it was, but uh, you know, I, I I didn't ever think about age, Rose. I mean, age was not age. Still, to me, is nothing. So it was. No. I just felt I had the capacity and the ability to do this, so I thought I would go and do it. <laughs> um, and you know, it's that youthful exuberance where you you know you can't fail. And uh, you know, I still have that, which is actually actually sometimes good and sometimes bad. <laughs> but, but I still have that attitude, and I had it then. And I basically um, I, I launched that company in 1994. So I was um, just I was just about to turn 28. I might have just turned 28 when I launched it by the time it got going. And um, then the business, uh, I sold it in 2007. So it was a 13-year journey. And uh, we did extremely well out of that start to finish. Uh, Not only profitability along the way, but a nice price at the end before the financial crisis. Along the way, in between all of that, I did a whole bunch of other startups, maybe seven or eight other startups that I was involved in and maybe invested in half a dozen other companies. So... I started, you know, down here in Australia, I was very sort of involved in the sort of family and friends rounds, you know, the, those early seed investor rounds of companies. Then, um, you know, I got sick uh, in um, the sort of uh, 1998, so about four years after launching my company, I got sick in 1998. And so it wasn't until 2007 that um, I started Fat Sick and Nearly Dead and I sort of shifted after the sale of the business. I think I actually sold the business in 2006 or, you know, sorry, early 2007. And so I started filming Fat Sick and Nearly Dead in late 2007. And so it really wasn't a business, Rosemary. It was actually basically a give back that, okay, I've been working really hard. I've been doing all these things. I need to take some yeah. time out for myself. I need to heal myself. I need to fix myself. I need to take control of my, of my um, you know, decisions, my, my consciousness, uh, the the everything where you sort of go to a doctor and you sort of outsource your health to somebody else. I, yes. I want to insource it all and bring it back. So uh, the transition wasn't such a bigger transition as some people might think in terms of, you know, you're going from um, finance into media because I looked at it as entrepreneurship into entrepreneurship. So yeah. It, it wasn't really that bigger jilt, but... It kind of was, but it wasn't, if you know what I mean. Well, you obviously like challenges. You obviously like taking risks. So you're very comfortable in that space, obviously. Um, and it probably is such a thrill to, that's such a new niche for you to just devour and be curious and get educated. And, and in the documentary and your health, I mean, just the health alone, it can take you a lifetime to understand that. Yeah, look, I think that I'm, I'm a very inquisitive person by nature. And I think that uh, when you are curious, then it sort of sets you up for a, um, you know, a different path to people that are not curious. I, I believe that. And, yeah. um, you know, not necessarily a better or worse path, just a different path. Yeah. And, um, and, and that to me meant or has meant in my life that I've done many different things because, you know, I'm involved in farming right now, in indoor farming, actually in in Florida, in the in the city of Miami. I'm ah. involved in I'm involved in you know selling juices and uh, small appliances for the wellness world. Now, someone had told me 15 years ago when I was in the world of trading and I had a steel business, I had a sort of a, a limo business, I had all sorts of different businesses that I'd be over there in America. Well, not over in America, but my interest yeah. would be in America. I would have thought, you know, that's a stretch. Not impossible, but that's a stretch. So it's funny how, you know, you you just evolve and your uh, that, that curiosity really has led me to so many different things to be involved in. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, for me, it's uh, mostly about the people that you're actually, you know, you, the idea is important, but it's the investment or the partnership or the sort of people that are that are actually at the top. Um, of what that mission is or that company is or that startup is that really um, I look for. And I think that's the the biggest lesson I've learned from being involved in business and all that sort of stuff is that, yeah, the idea is good and, yeah, we need to know the SWOT analysis, we need to know competition, we need to know all of that. But right up there, top of list for me, is the sort of people that um, are in at, at the senior level and, you know, what's their what's their commitment to it, what's their passion like, what appetite for risk do they have? How how um, how bad do they want it? 
you know, and how much will they sort of knock down walls and doors to find a solution when they uh, come up against the problem? So it's it's those things that um, uh, are more exciting and more interesting to me to see and watch that happen now that, um, than anything else. So I want to go back to, um, you know, you got really sick and that's why you did the change that you did. Um, and you had a rare disease. Um, but I'm wondering... That hard work that you did beforehand and all of that time that you were putting and when you're young, I'm guessing you're just going at it nonstop. You're not giving your body a break. You're not doing all the things that you probably know now know to do. Do you feel like all of that built up to getting the rare disease or was it is it I can't remember because it's been yeah, so long. The, the, the illness was chronic urticaria angioedema, which is really fancy way of saying chronic hives, but the hives are actually below the dermis. They're like deep down in the skin. So it's not and, like uh, you can see it on, on the skin. Well, it you, was... can, you can see it because it's a big, big red, you know, okay. like it's a welt, but it's not a hive that's on top of your skin like a, a like um, like bursting, if that makes sense. It's not like a, a bubble on your skin. Uh -huh. it's, it's below the level of your skin, below the dermis. Okay. So what would happen is, is that in an area on your body, say your hand, where you would get it, say here, the fluid, the histamine would go to your joint, which means you couldn't, you couldn't use the joint. So it affected joints and it affected everything, everything regarding skin and pressure, any pressure on my body. So a seatbelt, holding a baby, groceries, um, anything of pressure, golf club, tennis racket, lifting weights, forget it. None of those things, all those things became impossible for me for eight years. So, um, yeah, look, what, what I think to answer your question is that I think each and every one of us have our own specific makeup um, in, our, in our genetics for the, the thing we are weakest at. I mean, there are things that we're really strong at in our genetics, but <clears throat> every single one of us have something along that little line of genetic material that's the weakest link mm -hmm. and that weakest link for me was in my opinion chronic urticaria angioedema now the weakest link say for your husband might be the diabetes right. the weakest link for somebody else might be the migraines the weakest link for somebody else might be psoriasis and so on and so i believe that the more that you don't treat your body in a holistic way and that you you trash um, one of these four or five pillars, depending on how you want to look at life, but you've got you've got what you put in your body, you've got how much you move, you've got how much you sleep, and you've got how much you're connected to love and people around you. I mean, they're the four main pillars to wellness that I, I look at. And so, you know, if you're not sleeping very well, but you're – eating lots of salad and green juice and you're running a marathon every day, but you're hardly getting any sleep, that's not sustainable. No. So it's not just about how much exercise you do and what you eat. It's, it's a holistic approach. And so for people that <clears throat> are pulling a leg out of those, say, four legs off their, their, um, their chair of, of, of life and chair of wellness, they are going to trigger those weakest uh, chains in their in their own um, DNA genetic makeup and I think for me that's what happened I basically essentially yeah I had lots of friends but you know I was eating garbage I was hardly sleeping I was stressed I used to work out a lot I stopped all of that so it was a combination of factors I can't and would never be able to say oh it was just this one Rosemary I couldn't say hey you know it was that yeah but it was it was a combination of things where I had basically treated my um, my whole system uh, with disrespect, and when you do that, you know you, you can't ignore the biological laws of cause and effect. It <laughs> will catch up with you. And it took me some time. It took me till you know I was like thirty four uh, before I got you know sick. Uh, thirty two, I think I might have been actually thirty two, and I got sick. So I, I was okay in my 20s, even though I was trashing and, and doing all that, because when you're young, you can sort of hold on to stuff. But then I, as yep. you get older, I think the dam breaks. And so that's, um, that, that's certainly the way that I would view what happened to me. And I would say, you know, now I'm, I'm 
don't take any meds, I'm cured, I'm completely don't have that issue anymore. But if I was to go back to that way, I'm pretty sure it would come back as well. Yeah, absolutely. So how did this, um, do you have a family, um, kids, wife? No, I'm, uh, I'm still, you know, that youthful exuberance still has me out there being, you know, like I'm a 25-year-old, Rosemary. Women can't keep up with you. <laughs> I don't know about that. I, 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 won't, I won't say that, but I, I will say that I still feel like I'm 25. <laughs> you do have the energy of a, a youngster. I can feel it. Yeah. It's funny. I was going to ask you how that all this affected them. Like so I guess it didn't affect them one bit. <laughs> no, it didn't. I didn't have anyone to affect, but my, my mom and dad, I a very close family and it affected my parents and my brothers and sisters and all that. So, you know, and very good friends. And, <clears throat> you know, I've, I've made certain changes since back in 2007. Like I don't drink alcohol anymore. And, um, you know, I actually did the calculation the other day. It's, it's sort of like nearly 5,000 days or something I did the other day where I've had no alcohol. And because when you, you know, these things on the internet, you can put a date into the date and it ended up just randomly the day I did it. It was like 5,000 days. And um, I just thought, wow, that's pretty incredible. It doesn't feel like that. And I think that there's positives and negatives uh, to the outside world when you give up alcohol because mm. in many respects it puts a mirror up to people who are your friends who drink a lot. Yes. And when you're sitting there saying, you're not drinking, no, I don't want to drink, I'm okay, thanks very much, it kind of makes them feel a bit uncomfortable. It does. Now, they've got used to it now, but in the early days when I did this, that certainly was an impact that I didn't expect or didn't think was coming, but it did. And, of course, um, you know, that's life and people feel, you know, that they when, they when they sort of see someone else do something and they really deep down know it's actually probably the right thing to do, but they're not doing it, it kind of rubs the wrong way with them. Yeah. But generally, most people that have um, had anything to do with that aspect of my life, the non-drinking side, actually really admire it and some have picked up the challenge and followed. I never had a problem with alcohol, Rosie. It wasn't like I was a drunk or an alcoholic or anything. It didn't affect my life like that. But what it did do was it made, it made me when I was the next day, I didn't feel great. I felt... Um, tired I felt exhausted I felt running at 70 or 80 percent after I'd had a drink the night before and it just was something that I felt that why would I do something for a couple of hours the night before you know even if it's three or four glasses of wine I'm not talking about drinking you know bottles and bottles I'm not talking about getting blind drunk I'm actually just talking about having two or three glasses of wine Mm -hmm. the edge was off me the next day and I just didn't feel good I didn't sleep well and that made me then lead to poorer choices in food. So because I didn't sleep well, I'd need some sugar. So I'd have you know, a donut or I'd have a milkshake or I'd have something to try and keep the energy up simply because of the root cause was me not getting good not good night's sleep. So I sort of took that out of my life and that's made, you know, it's made a difference. Now, I've always said I may drink again because, you know, who knows? But at the moment, I'm enjoying the, uh, the, the life of... Uh, of waking up every morning feeling absolutely clear-headed. So did you discover this after you did the cleanse and then your body was so clean that you're like, oh, holy crap, look what this is doing because your body's more aware, you can really feel? I guess I discovered it during it. It wasn't after because in the very beginning, um, you know, when, when I started off on this journey, I didn't know it was going to take five months. I didn't know 60 days of juice and three months of eating plants was going to cure me because had I, had I known that, I would have done it like five years earlier. <laughs> right. So what I did was I set up a time of two years where I was going to juice for 60 days and then for the remaining two years, so for, for the next basically 22 months, I was going to live on a plant-based diet where it was super strict, like fruits, vegetables, nuts, beans, seeds. And all raw, uh, right? Yeah, well, not raw, but steamed and some cooked, but not in the point of of processed, you know, like no tofu, for example. I wouldn't have, even though that's vegan, that's a processed food and I wouldn't eat that. Right. So it was was basically raw, but, you know, I was able to roast vegetables, for example. Okay. Okay. So at the end of the day, um, I thought that I needed to do a two-year stint at that to see if I could get well because I'd sort of done 40 years of damage. So I figured that just like a couple of months wasn't going to be enough to balance out like 40 years of your life. So I, I, I sort of landed randomly on this idea that two years would be a good 
thing to see whether or not my diet and lifestyle was actually causing my illness or whether it was just a luck of the draw. No matter what I did in my life, I would have always been sick, right? Right. So I needed to work that out. And so I allocated two years where I knew I was not going to have any soda. I knew I was not going to have any alcohol. I knew I was not going to smoke any cigarettes. I knew I was not going to have any meat or any of those things. I kind of knew that going in. So after five months when I was healed, I thought, well, I was always going to do two years. So I'm feeling great and I'm off the meds. I may as well just keep going now yes. on that part of it. So don't have any animal product. Don't don't have any uh, uh, alcohol. Don't have any uh, fast food or anything like that or any processed and don't have any soda. So I kind of did that for the next two years. And, in fact, it went a bit longer. It probably went wow. four years. Um, and, you know, I, I did introduce things like tofu. It wasn't like, you know, after after like the two years I did, but I didn't introduce soda. I didn't use alcohol. I didn't introduce um, obviously not smoking. Uh, I didn't have any fast food. I had no animal product. I, I, I did start to have some fish um, mm-hmm. in first. And now I'm back to a more, more balanced diet. I'm not like vegan or vegetarian, but, um, you know, but that was then. That was to get well. And so yeah. – after two years of no alcohol, I felt so good, Rose. I said, you know what? I'm just going to keep going here. If I want to have a drink, I'll have a drink. But I haven't had that feeling yet. Yeah. Um. So do you find that you have to do like maybe a juice cleanse detox every once in a while where you feel like your body needs to do that? Oh, oh definitely. No, I'm, I'm, I'm all – I believe in, in – um, for me and not for everybody, but I believe that we are living in a, in a world today that very few of us, have the ability to navigate perfectly through all of the perils that throw, are thrown up at us from a wellness perspective. Yes. Um, the world is set up for us to fail. Uh, you know, you can press a button on your phone and you can get 10,000 calories in 20,000 calories, 30,000 calories at your house in the next half an hour if you want it. Isn't okay. that amazing? It's mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah, this idea of what we used to have to do to get that many calories versus what we do today, that's an example of how we've set up ourselves to fail. Right. So the reward of having those 10, 20, 30,000 calories, depending on how many pizzas or burgers or whatever you want to order, <laughs> okay, and how many you can eat, will is determined not by the challenge of the animal or the beast or how far you had to walk to forage or what you had to endure to get to that honey pot that was hidden out in the middle of the Sahara that nobody else knew about. All those calories they burnt just to get it. <laughs> Correct. And it was not something they could do on a regular basis. Right. Because on a regular basis, their storage or whatever, they just didn't have those capacity. So we are very much the, the uh, result of those ancestors. That's who we are today. You know, and we've only had the capacity to store and, and, and really have processed food refrigerate it say, for like 150 years. Like this is a very new thing for us. Right. This is not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. So <clears throat> I believe that the fasting that I do is the balance of bringing some of that olden day, our ancestral world to the modern day. So <clears throat> it's, it's something that I feel very strongly about and I think that it's worked for me. And the idea of refraining from, from any solid food, either having a juice fast where you just drink fresh juice from plants or a water fast um, is something that is a very powerful tool that modern-day modern day, uh, humans, if they want to really push that boundary and explore, will find that in majority of cases, and I say I, I can't say everybody, but I can say majority, like, 99% of people will benefit. And it's higher than 99, but there are obviously some people who, who, who may have adverse effects. There are certain people, if they're on blood thinners, for example, they can't juice fast. And there are certain areas that you need to check with your, um, with your doctor or, or yeah. healthcare professional. But 99% of people will benefit from a juice fast, whether it's five days or 10 days for juicing, water fast, whether it's four or five days, um, and there are other sorts of fasts out there as well now. There's intermittent fasting. There's, yes. there's time-restricted feeding. There's all sorts of different other fasting that 
really in the last four or five years has become something of a bit of a like you know buzzword now. Yes, you know, it's something that I discovered. Well, not discovered. I didn't discover it, but I found it for myself. You know, uh, two thousand and seven. So what are we talking? We're talking you know, fourteen years ago. Yeah. Um, is when I did this journey. So it's um, it's something that I I, I employ those tools um, a lot in my life. In fact, already this year I've done a, a um, I, I've done a juice fast already for the month of February and um, a water fast already this month. And I'll probably attempt my next fast. It's sort of I like every two months I do something. Normally I don't go a whole month. That's every sort of two years. Normally it's a five day journey for me every two months. So. Because of this, you were saying at the beginning that you created a business with juices that you're working um, and creating a um, a farm down in Miami. Tell us a little bit about that business. Yeah, well, well, Nama is a is a, a small appliance company which um, is has its first product out, and that's a juicer, and it's going fantastic. What's that called again? Nama, N A M A. So that, okay. The, namawell.com is the website for people that want to check out the juicer uh-huh. and it's a old press juicer and it's um it's an amazing juicer and i use it every day well, when i say every day i actually don't juice every day rosemary i juice every three days and i make enough juice to last me three days i mean that's Ooh, one of the big- i want to talk about that because to me there's confusion with how long juice lasts and expect you know i know cold press does um, but how how long juice lasts for people when they make it at home? Because like if you put it in the Vitamix and you crush it up and it's not cold press, what's the difference for the listeners? Right. So a Vitamix is not a juicer; it's a blender. Right. So so with a Vitamix, uh, it's kind of like outsourcing the chewing to a right. machine. So it's still eating. That's right. So anybody who uses a Vitamix or a Blendtec or a Nutribullet, they're eating. They're not. They're not. They're not going without solid food. Right. They're actually eating solid food. That's that's not a fast. Okay, that is um, good to know. Yeah, because you are effectively. I mean, the uh, the makeup of a smoothie or a blended drink or anything that comes out of the Vitamix, assuming you put a whole food in there, like assuming you put kale in or you put bananas in or you put berries in or whatever you put in. There's a huge amount of fiber that is holding those micronutrients together in, say, a strawberry. Now, that, that fiber, that's good for you. Don't get me wrong. It's, I'm not saying it's not good for you, but it's solid. Right. Okay? And so we have to differentiate the powers of having something that is liquid, i.e., very, very similar, like almost the same as water. Right. Versus something the same as eating. So if you want to eat strawberries and eat bananas and eat fruit and peach and eat kale and tomatoes, I'm going to say big tick, love it. But if you are wanting to do a fast, then eating those products is not a fast. So you're not fasting, but knock yourself out and enjoy the the world of, uh, of plants. Right. But if you want to fast and you want to fast properly, like strictly fasting, you're just going to do water. You're not going to eat any of that. You're going to do water. But and not even high. not even the cold-pressed juice. No, no, no. I'm explaining. So oh, if okay. you want to strictly in the sense of the word fasting, then you are going to just do water. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, that's difficult for lots of people because oh, yeah. they, it's hard. I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. So now you move to the next level that's as close as possible to that, which is juice fasting. Because what you're effectively doing in juice fasting is you are going along to a cucumber, you're going along to a bell pepper, you're taking a sweet potato, you're taking an apple, a pear, an orange, uh, a lemon, a piece of ginger, and you are extracting the water out of it. Because all of those plants hold water. Mm -hmm. And when you extract the water out of plants, it comes out a funny colour. It comes out either red or purple or yellow or green, it comes out in a colour that is not how normal water looks. But it actually, if if you closed your eyes and I poured it on your forehead, you wouldn't know the difference between that or water because it's absolutely nearly identical. But the difference is those micronutrients and that's what gives it the colour. It's those nutrient values 
that the light, as we all know how colour works, that the nutrient values absorb everything except the green in cucumber juice or celery juice. They absorb everything except the red in a tomato juice or red bell pepper juice. So you are seeing the liquid sunshine. You're seeing the nutrients. Now, what comes out of the juicer on the side being the pulp? That's not nutritious. That's not nutrition. That's not something of value for your cellular level. It's of value for your gut health from your mouth to your backside. That fiber is great going down and cleaning and all of that, but it's not nutrition, Rosemary. Right? Interesting. It's, and so if you are juice fasting, you are having an absence of fiber. You're having an absence of solid food, which basically means the digestive process changes dramatically because instead of having to actually summon a whole bunch of blood flow and create a whole bunch of enzymes to digest the smoothie, like the blended, the blended drink out of a Nutribullet or out of a, um, a Vitamix, when you juice, you don't have to do that because it's just like drinking water. It's just rapid absorption. So you are giving your digestive tract a break and a rest. And if you do that for five or 10 days, you're kind of tricking your body into thinking it's on a water fast. So a lot of benefits that happen on a water fast, you get on a juice fast. Does that make sense? It does. And I have another question, though, because there are some places we have a, a cold pressed juicery nearby that I love and so grateful that it's here because it's not something that you find very often in places. Um, they do nut milks. So yeah. how does nut milks work in a juice fast? Probably no, I'm guessing. No, no you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be surprised. Absolutely, totally fine. In fact, in most of my juice uh, reboots that I do, I incorporate a freshly made nut milk that I make with the Nama juicer. For example, you soak the almonds, uh, the raw almonds overnight for that eight to 10 hours. Um, then the next day, I rinse off all that water that was around them and put fresh water in, uh, give them a bit of a cleanse and then rinse them again. Now, I take for every cup of almonds, I take a cup of uh, filtered water Mm -hmm. And I combine those two as they go into the Nama cold press juicer. And essentially what's happening is, is that the almond meal, okay, so the fiber from the uh, almond goes out the side. Now what you're left with is the water that has now been extracted out of the soaking almond. Ah. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Yep, I know what so you're saying. When you are bringing out that, now there is definitely protein in that. There is definitely some uh, microfiber, it's not like it's 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 called um, soluble fiber. The insoluble fiber is the stuff that you see coming out on the side of the juicer. But you you will always get some kind of soluble fiber in any type of juice because there is at a very micro level small um, uh, parts of fiber that will be in all juices. So you're not totally fiberless, if that makes sense. But yeah. you're fiberless enough to alter the way that your um, uh, digestive system works uh, upon consumption. So um, we should be done by now, but I was, this is such one of my favorite things to talk about is food and health. Do you mind if we go a little bit longer? Sure, no problem. Okay, so uh, lately, and I'm really glad that people are finally getting this and people just, you know, with all of the nut milks that are out there, and I'm glad people are going to nut milk instead of dairy. I don't think people really realize I fought getting off dairy for a long time. And um, I finally I got on it, got off it, got on it, got off it. And I finally had a Chinese medicine doctor say, um, try getting off dairy again. I think you need to get off. And I took a before and after picture one week. It looked like I lost 10 pounds. I didn't lose any weight, but it was the inflammation and I didn't feel sick from eating the dairy. It just inflames my body. And I don't think people really realize how bad dairy can be for you. Um, yeah. and, and that doesn't, that's something that doesn't affect everybody. But right. Certainly a subset of the community that has that reaction like you have. Absolutely. It depends on which dairy they're eating because a lot of dairy has preservatives in it and it could be the preservatives that you're reacting to as opposed to just the normal cow's milk that's just straight out of the cow that's that's basically non-pasteurized, okay? Right, so raw cow milk. Yeah, it does it does 
Like I, I, I'm not somebody who like just, I'm not a black and white person that says, oh, and you shouldn't have dairy or you shouldn't have meat because I think each and every one of us are different. I think it's awesome. Oh, I totally agree with that. That you discovered that for you, dairy didn't work for you um, and that's great. But yep. I also, anyone listening out there, they may not have the same effect that you you had. That's all. No, I agree with you. And I'm glad you mentioned that. I just want people to be encouraged to try and remove a lot oh, yeah. of things from their diets. Um, what is what is that length? It's like two weeks or 21 days and then you reintroduce it um, one at a time. So there's essentially what you're talking about is what's called an elimination diet. Mm-hmm. And an elimination diet is when you if, and, and there is stuff on the web for people to really dive deep into this, but uh, there's a whole lot of there's a whole lot of foods that have entered our system that didn't that didn't exist there many years ago, like say a hundred years ago, fifty years ago, they just didn't exist. Right. And they're now in our food supply, and not all of us are built to be able to handle those. And so, if you really wanted to do a true elimination diet, then you need to take out. These, these three chemicals that are found in a lot of foods and actually a lot of fruits and vegetables. And they, um, I've got to remember that. Oh, here we go. They're salicylates, um, glutamites, and oh, there's one more, but I'm just blanking on it right now. But salicylates, glutamites, and am- amines, amines. So those three chemicals <clears throat> are the chemicals that are most likely to cause some kind of an allergy or reaction in food to people. And so a true elimination diet is where you take all foods that have any of those. Mm -hmm. For example, a pear is one of the only fruits that I know that doesn't have any of those three things. Wow. Nobody should be allergic or have a reaction to a pear, okay, because it doesn't have any of those three chemicals that are the most common chemicals to cause a problem. So you then have pears for a period of time and you have – you then go and say, I'm going to introduce salicylates. So salicylates are found, say, for example, in tomatoes. So now you would have a week of tomatoes. Okay, not every meal, but lunch or dinner, you're having some tomatoes with your non, with, with your cleaner food. And so you would do this over a period of time. And that that's a long, drawn-out kind of Inspector Clouseau, Sherlock Holmes approach <laughs> that you've got to have a lot of discipline to be able to do that, but the rewards are enormous for people. Mm-hmm. So that's one way. Um, for me, I, I'm not as disciplined. I've tried that and it was hard for me to do. I kind of lasted about six weeks before I fell off the wagon on that. <laughs> but but for, the, for people, that the, what I did was I just went back to the idea of just having juice. And by the idea of having just juice, um, I found that <clears throat> all of a sudden I could breathe better, smell better. I could, I could, I had more senses uh, alerted. So I knew there were some things that I was having. So, for example, I know that my body doesn't react very well to um, gluten. Now, I'm not gluten free because I love bread, mm-hmm. but I know in my head, I know that if I have too much of that, then that's going to be detrimental to my my whole program, my whole wellness. Yeah. So sometimes I'm really good at holding that line and pulling back. Other times I'm not. But that's something that I know. Now, I haven't got to the position right now where I go, all right, I'm not going to have any bread because to me that little trade-off isn't enough right now. My life's not, my life's not impacted enough to make that sacrifice. But there are other things, for example, smoking, when I used to smoke, I know that if I go back to smoking, I will feel like crap all the time because of my lungs and the capacity. So that's a big enough trade-off that I've said, no, I can't have that anymore. Coca-Cola is another example of something that I used to love, still love, but haven't had it since 2007. But I know that if I had one Coke today, even if I just had one, I'd won 100. And so I know... I know there are certain things that are no-go zones for me. Yeah. There are other things like, for example, the bread or the pastry or the cake or whatever that I know they're not great for me, but I'm also not a believer in this is good or bad for me. I'm a believer in the view that there are some foods that I can have on a rare occasion and there are other foods that I can have most of the time. And I just need to make sure I've got those categories right and that I spend most of my life in the area of having good foods that are complementary to my lifestyle rather than foods that are kind of like I call entertainment. 
Right. Um, so I got off track. Um, the, the, I want to talk about the nut milks in the store because they're mostly water, aren't they? And then they have additives within them as opposed to how simple it is to make them at home for yourself and how yeah, much absolutely. healthier it is. Absolutely. Um, you know, look, it's, I, I, I'd be very honest with everybody. It's actually more expensive to make your own than it is to buy in the store because they are so watered down and they basically have um, some of them even have almond flavoring and so on. So <laughs> yeah. they're actually they're actually very and processed. sugar and sugar added sugar. So they're very processed. So you know almonds are not a cheap thing. Uh, raw almonds to find if you can buy them in bulk, that's a really smart way of doing it because you're going to save money with all the packaging and everything and getting them at a at a, at a bulk wholesale. But look, I totally understand that a lot of people have not the financial means to do it. But if you can. And if you can make your own almond milk and you don't, and what you can do is, this is something that I tell people, you can play around with the amount of water in your almond milk. So for example, I'm one cup to one water when I put it through my juicer. Mm -hmm. You can be one cup to two waters. You might like your almond, I like mine kind of thick, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but you, some people might think that's too much. So there are economical ways of using your own watering process to get it to a level that's comfortable for you that might not be as expensive as the person next door like me who's doing one for one. Right. Yeah. Um, so how you already gave us the website on how they can get the cold press. How does that work in a household? Cause in the past, this has been something that has only been available to like these exclusive juicers, you know, probably like in California or something. Um, it's not something that is widely used in a home. Yeah, so so the, the type of juicer that that I I'm in favour of is the cold press slow juicer, which essentially sort of it's a it's an auger that spins against a uh, a filter uh, or strainer if you like, and so the auger spins at forty three revolutions per minute, which is kind of in sync with your chewing. So you're not generating any heat, you're not generating any sort of oxidisation. You are really like it's it's just it's just pressing as it goes into the funnel and as the auger twists and turns, it's just compressing the apple uh, against that strainer and auger, which is squeezing the juice out at a at a low temperature rate. Now, there are fast juicers, and I used a fast juicer for many years. And if anyone's got a fast juicer, don't just all of a sudden go, "Oh, Joe told me to throw it out." No, don't do that. <laughs> um, you know, hang on to your juicer, but maybe when your juicer's had its day, switch up to a Nama or a cold press juicer. You know, I'm not like this sales guy that says, hey, mine's the best one. But if you, I, I, it's the one I use. So that's up to people to make their own mind up. But as far as, <clears throat> as far as the idea of it being available, I mean, we've, we've had huge impact in the middle of America and all over the world. So it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a machine that is like a hundred dollar machine. I mean, this is a 350 to $80 machine, depending on the discount voucher or promo you're going at the, at the time. But the amount of juice you extract out of this versus a cheaper juicer, in the long run, the produce is the most expensive asset that's going in. So you want to have something that's going to get you the yield. So you don't want to necessarily shortchange yourself at the front of buying a juicer that's not, you know, maybe it's only going to get 75% of the juice out rather than 100% of the juice. Well, over time, with your produce buy, you're going to be miles ahead if you buy the better juicer at the front, uh, depending on how much you juice. But, you know, I don't juice every day, as I said. And you ask that question, how long can they last? And they can last up to three days if they are sealed in a glass bottle. It's a bit like when you slice open an apple and you leave it on the kitchen bench and you walk away, you come back 10 hours, 12 hours later, it's pretty brown, right? It's, it's, right. it's, it's rotten. It's got to, but if you take that sliced apple and you put it in a glass container and seal it and put it in the refrigerator, it's not brown in 12 hours' time, okay? It's... You've actually, you've actually slowed down the decomposition because at a lower temperature, the microbes can't operate. And when you seal it into a little glass container with a lid on it, that apple is safe from everything from the outside world except the microbes inside that little container space. So the more you can get the air out of that space, the more you could vacuum it, the, 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 that apple will not, will not go brown. Wow. So, and it won't rot. And so, therefore, it will be just the same as if it was the apple on your kitchen bench for four or five days. 
So the idea of juicing in bottles is we take the juice, we fill it up to the top, we put a lid on so we have as little air as possible, we put it in the refrigerator, it stays at a perfectly cold, chill temperature, and we are not getting very, 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 very small decay in nutrient value. You're going to have a bigger difference in nutrient value from where you got your produce from versus how long it was in your fridge. So if your produce was grown in a place that the soil was not was not very rich in nutrients versus an incredible organic farm where it was like incredible soil with thousands of worms running around, you are going to have a very different nutrition profile on day one just when you make the juice from both of those uh, cucumbers, let's say, we were dealing with one from one farm, one from another. So that's a bigger factor that goes into the nutritional value rather than the decay of three days in a fridge. So you have your farm in Miami, you have this cold press machine that you're, you're, you're selling and putting into households and changing lives. Do you have a juice store in Miami? No, no. The, the farm in Miami is an indoor farm. So mm-hmm. it's a farm that is, um, it's the farm of the future. We, we, don't, we don't grow in soil, we grow in water. We use, we use lights um, and we grow uh, leafy greens that when, when kids taste these greens, they like, they change their whole, that the whole life changes on what a salad could be. Um, you know, if you live on the East Coast of America, your greens, your leafy greens are coming from either Mexico or Southern California. Yep. And they're either being shipped in or driven over. And from the harvest to the time that you buy them in your store and get them to your plate, could be as much as two to three weeks. Wow. And they've been sanitized, they've been frozen. All of the the incredible difference in taste that if you were to taste that same greens you're buying at your store tonight, had you tasted it when it was harvest, maybe back in uh, Arizona or California, the significance in taste is monumental. So there is a trade-off for sending that food across country and the trade-off is the taste. Yeah. And that's a problem because if it doesn't taste good, people aren't going to eat it. Right. And, and so we are in the business of creating local farms and we create a farm in Miami that is basically producing a, a non-herbicide, totally organic, non-pesticide, uh, greens, mixed greens crunch that when kids taste it, when adults taste it, they go, oh, my God, that's just, I, I didn't know that lettuce could taste like that or that uh, spinach could taste like that or it, it's, it's mind-blowing. So this is the future. There is, you know, a little stat for you. In 1990, 1% of the uh, tomatoes consumed in America were grown indoors. Today it's 40%. 40% of all tomatoes that you see in America are grown indoors, either in an indoor farm or in a, in a glass house. Wow. So, so the future of farming is a is a very it's the kind of like the next big area that you're going to hear a lot about, and so I'm I'm uh, very excited to be involved in that space. And you know, if if you can help if you can help bring uh, a local healthy product to communities, and there's actually a, a uh, an economic viability in that program, then why wouldn't you do it? Right. Are you franchising this so that it can spread everywhere? How? What's that look like? Uh, no, not at this stage. I think that the, the farm that, that we will, this is our first farm and we're only three years old as a company. So we're still early days. I think if you got me back on the podcast in five years time, then that would be a significant difference. And we'd have many, many farms across across Florida state to start with and then other states. You know, we're looking at Colorado, we're looking at Illinois, we're, we're looking at other other parts of the country as well. But these farms traditionally, um, you know, are like $5 million of capital to set up a farm. And so if you wanted to set up, say, 100 of these, that's a $500 million investment. So that's big money. And in order to attract that, you've got to start small and you've got to show what you can do and you've got to show how much you can output for what the capital expenditure is. So we're taking this step by step and our our next move will be to build one of those farms and we'll build one of those and we'll show how what that kind of investment of $5 million pulls out for the, uh, for the investor. And I think that when they see those numbers and how it works and the, 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 the actual type of business that they'd be involved in, it's going to attract a lot of attention. So are you looking, actively looking for investors? Uh, we're talking, well, we, 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 if someone came along today and said, Joe, here's $5 million, we're probably not ready today to take that. We'll probably be ready for that in probably six months' time. Um, so we're, we're still 
we're still in the R&D stage of say, hey, you know what? We're working out um, how many pounds we can get from this crop and how many pounds from that harvest. And so there's a lot of work that goes into optimising these crops uh, because anybody can buy lights and set up and grow in their backyard. Mm -hmm. The real question is the intellectual property and the systems that are around ensuring that your your you know your cubic foot you know this cubic foot of three dimensional space how much money are you pouring into that cubic foot and what are you able to grow out of that and so that's really where the 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 business or the the special source is in terms of hey you know you give me a million dollars and I can give you a hundred thousand dollars worth of crop or give me a million and I can give you five hundred thousand worth of crop you know where you're going to put your million dollars right Rosemary you're right put it in the second guy. So, so it's not just about growing one thing, it's about growing the most efficiently as you can and keeping that standard of quality at that level. And so that's, that's the game. So uh, not ready today, but we'll be, we'll be ready by the end of the year for sure. All right, people, stay tuned. You heard them. Get your wallets ready. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, Joe, so much for your time. This has been uh, an amazing and interesting uh, conversation. I know our listeners have learned a lot. Um, where can people follow you? What um, channels I'm are on you on? Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Joe the Juicer. Uh, my, the website is rebootwithjoe.com. The uh, website for the juicer is namawell.com. And uh, Box Greens is our little farm down in Miami. So you can oh. find us on Instagram there on Box Greens. So they're, uh, they're the best places. Um, and I'm also on Facebook and we have the Joe Cross community on, um, on Facebook as well. So it's, uh, it's a, there's a, many people there on Facebook on the Joe Cross community. And um, uh, you can sign up for the newsletter at Reboot with Joe. Well, thank you for all that you've done for the world. You have definitely changed the world. And if that's what you came here to do, you have already succeeded and yet you're going to do some more. <laughs> well, thank you, Rosemary. That's very kind of you to say. And um, I wish you a great day and everyone else out there, juice on. Rush Yeager here. Thanks so much for listening to the Becoming Titans podcast. If you're a successful business owner, entrepreneur, or executive, consider your company as having a true purpose and would like to be a guest on this program, please visit rushyeager.com forward slash apply. And hey, if you got value out of the interview today, I'd be so grateful if you simply would share it on your favorite social media platform. And if you know someone who would be a great guest for the show, tag them on social media to let them know about it and include hashtag becoming titans. I love seeing you guys' posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and really mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more about what I do, go to rushyager.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram, all under my name. Thanks again for listening. Have an awesome day, and we'll see you next time.